Welcome to episode three of the Pulling Up From 40 podcast. This is a special episode today as we have our first guest on the show. We've got Alex Schiffer from The Athletic, who is the Brooklyn Nets beat writer. Alex, welcome to the podcast, man. Uh, first time I've christened a podcast like this. This is a big deal. <laughs> no, this is this is a big deal. And, and, you know, we thought of you first because obviously – you and I and Colin all have a previous relationship. Out. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Colin, yeah, Colin, on, Colin, Colin knows Alex. We we all have previous relationships. You know, we met initially at University of Missouri. At the time, you were a beat writer for the men's basketball team, and I was a student manager for the team, which you know can be a little bit of a taboo relationship, um, which is funny. But you know, over the years, we really got to know each other pretty well. And just you were like my that. first big Twitter follow in college. <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns That's in high crazy. school because we went to high school together. Then you, and now it's you know a bunch of uh, trolls. <laughs> That's like hasn't like been 90. the same since you followed me, Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying, Colin? Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, just like the troll culture on Twitter is exhausting, and I know, and I'm sure Alex, on your end as a as a beat writer, you you probably deal with the brunt end of that more than more than most. Yeah, so the Nets lost to the Heat last night, 109-80 in their second preseason game, and there was somebody that kept responding to my tweets, but in a different language. It's like, I didn't know if they were happy, sad, like, I didn't know, so, like, I didn't know what they were trying to say, and it was just one of those things where it's like, look, like, I don't know what to put this into Google Translate, like, I don't, like, it looks like one thing, but maybe it's another, you know, it's, uh, as, as, uh, as my, uh, as I've gone international, I guess, I, it's, it, it, that's been one of the downfalls. I'm definitely, you know, if I'm in your shoes, I'm definitely throwing that into Google Translate and then throwing back whatever I can to them. But, you know, that's just me. I don't know. I don't know what the athletic policies are, but that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that's that the almost... thing, though, is if it takes, it, take, it takes one ultra-sensitive person to not get the joke or whatever, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm, I'm in the McDonald's drive-thru. So, I, uh, <laughs> I do my my social media policies are less is more and don't tweet anything you wouldn't say to somebody's face. That's how no I kind of operate. Smart man. No doubt. Yeah. No, no, smart man. And, and speaking of smart man, you know, I've seen you on this journey to where you're at now. Uh, you know, you've really climbed the ranks. I, I, I'm over here sitting on my couch watching NBA TV one day, and I'm like, oh, my God, like Alex is on the fucking TV, right? <laughs> Uh, and like I, I sent it to you and like recorded, I was like, "Yo, this is crazy!" Like, so one of the things that we really wanted to hear mostly from you today is like, what what was your story to getting to the athletic to become the Brooklyn Nets beat writer? How how did you get to that point? Yeah, you know, uh, we're big travelers in the family. We've been to all the presidential libraries. Uh, I'll use that flex on the podcast, not at a bar on dates or anything. But um, <laughs> um, so, you know, I always like traveling. And, uh, you know, I always like sports, obviously. In high school, I joined the school paper. You know, we uh, we were known a bit as a basketball school, St. Joe's and Metuchen, when I was a freshman because that's when, you know, there was the Kobe Lakers that went back-to-back with Andrew Bynum, who went to our high school. And then also Jay Williams from Duke. But, you know, my junior year, um, Carl Anthony Towns showed up. Back then he was just Carl Towns, which is how he's still in my phone. Uh, I'm not uh, – I haven't adapted like that. 
But, uh, you know, that really kind of started to change. We also had a guy at the time, I don't know if you remember, Lucas, Quentin DeCozy, who played at Temple, had a pretty decent career. And, um, you know, definitely started tweeting about Carl's recruitment, you know, kind of taught me, um, you know, a lot of things that, you know, I can kind of still carry today of just, you know, you'd have, if you know, Tom Mizzle came to one of our soccer games before an open gym, you know, uh, tweeting that he was there, you know, Michigan State fans would follow me. You know, I had college coaches that realized that, like, I was uh, in the building with Carl and they would DM me like, you know, if he's visiting here or there. And so, you know, it was easy to build up a Rolodex. You know, we got Wade Baldwin, who would eventually become a Grizzlies lottery pick. And uh, then Marcus Towns, both as transfers. He was a part of Loyola's Final Four team, if you remember. He's playing somewhere overseas. So, you know, those guys, too, definitely helped in terms of, you know, exposure and, and writing about them. And, you know, again, they were they were still classmates, you know, never really had any issues with them. But it also kind of taught me about, like, you know, how people uh, I just seem to think that just seem to want to learn about the next thing. You know, and I think we're kind of seeing that now as in like this today and this week with Victor Wembignan and Scoot Henderson, where, you know, we're not going to learn where those guys are playing for, you know, another what, seven, maybe eight months. And yet that's all anyone's talking about. So that kind of helped me for Mizzou. You know, uh, uh, Lucas will appreciate this. I got into Mizzou before my first day of my senior year of high school because I knew I wanted to go there. I got accepted. I committed to Mizzou the same day as Wes Clark. Um, <laughs> two big recruiting wins that day for the big school. Big recruiting wins. Um, so, and then obviously going to Mizzou, you know, uh, that's when we first started crossing paths early on. You know, my uh, my editor, then future roommate, Jacob Bogage. Uh, knew who you were and you were probably one of the few as you kind of said uh, student managers who like wasn't afraid to talk to the media or say what's up um, and you know when Michael Porter Jr. I'm trying to remember what year of college it would have been for us that like the buzz with him started at Tolton I think it would have been I think I want to say it was like 2014 maybe yeah so, so I would say my sophomore year your junior year yeah um, you know Jacob was his first beat writer, kind of. I think I think another one of our friends, Kyle Locke, wrote the very first story on Michael Porter in the Missouri. And like, I remember him telling me, like, remember the name. Um, and you know, then he had that dunk from the free throw line down. I think it was in Jeff City. Um, and having covered Carl, though, you know, both number one players in the country, I actually thought their recruitments were extremely similar, right? You know, um, Whoever got Michael Porter had to hire his dad. You know, once John Calipari put Carl on the Dominican roster, you know, it was kind of over. It wasn't these, like, ultra-dramatic five-star recruitments. Uh, both had – came from basketball-playing families. Carl's dad played at Monmouth. Um, so, you know, a lot of that translated with covering Mike. You know, a lot of the same coaches in the gym. <clears throat> um, you know, mutual connections, stuff like that. So that put me in good position with, with you know, getting in with his people, building their trust. I got hired by uh, the Kansas City Star out of college to cover Mizzou for that Michael Porter year that wasn't. Um, and then uh, and then uh, after doing that for two years, I got hired to cover the Nets, and it's been a, a wild ride ever since. No, it's crazy. It, it really is crazy to think, like, we're, we're over here, like, talking after, like, a Mizzou basketball game about the game, stuff like that, and then, like, now, like – you're We're a old man. interview. I, I, like I, I just pulled up uh, a tweet the other day. I'm like, wow, this man's talking to KD, you know, Mark like, Keith Morris uh, has <laughs> been the real uh, interview win of the preseason. Cause I asked him about, 
signing with the Nets, and he's like, you know, it's the NBA. It's, you break up with your girlfriend. Um, you get back together. <laughs> that was and, you. Uh, yeah, and the, the follow-up was like, well, can it work? He's like, yeah, you know, broke up with my wife a couple times. We still married. So he, he's got, like, the quote of the season so far. That's crazy. So, so you asked him. You asked him the question. I asked him the that? first question. Nick Fredell of ESPN had the follow up of like, "Can it work?" So, um, mm-hmm. I know I'd heard from the Kansas writers that he's pretty funny. So, I'm looking forward to, to dealing with him this year. Wow. Just a, a quick question for you, Alex, and kind of a uh, kind of a question for Lucas too, because you guys were obviously on campus at this time. Not to get on a kind of serious topic, but um, ironically, I was at I was in Columbia that weekend back in 2015 when uh, Mizzou had that like racist incident at your homecoming. Um, And then that kind of triggered all of those uh, triggered all those protests and the, you know, football team going on strike. Um, Would just love to get, I guess, both of your, you know, kind of opinions on like what that kind of climate was like, you know, being on campus, like, you know, Alex, you being on the kind of media side of it, Lucas literally being in, you know, in the athletic department, you know, what was kind of the pulse of the university at that time and just kind of being around that situation. Yeah, it's it, I've been asked about this a lot. I've always struggled to answer it because you know, um, you know, Missouri was founded on the two thirds compromise, right? So like, like they were literally founded with you know, um, with with race issues in a in a way, and being from New Jersey, you know, like there's a lot, you know, you I don't know and I still don't know about you know everything that's kind of gone into the the history with all that there. You know, the, the thing I tell people a lot is you know. I don't think the actual pro, you know, like the protests were peaceful, you know, the way people sometimes talk about like, you know, were you ever worried about guns or like, um, you know, was the river like a riot or anything that's like, no, like, you know, it was students uh, camping out in tents on one of the back quads. So, um, you know, definitely perception versus reality is the thing I, I probably get asked about the most with that. Cause I, people seem, you know, my parents got calls like, is he okay? And what's going on at campus and everyone, and they were like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you watching? So I, I always thought that, you know, um, the way people like from the outside and I mean outside, like that weren't in Columbia for that, the way they thought it was versus, um, versus what it actually was, there was very different. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think those are probably, that's probably what I get asked about the most with that stuff. It's like, where did you get that from? Like, it, it was never anything like you, like you thought it was. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely say on the kind of outside, outside looking in, you know, I was living in New York and in, in college at the time, it definitely felt a lot more, it just felt like a more hostile environment, right, than it, pro- than it yeah. probably actually was. And, and of course, like there is legitimacy to it, but I'm sure on your end, it was kind of just not business as usual, but like, you know, life goes on for, for lack of better words. Yeah, I mean, from from my perspective, like I can't, I can't really recall from working in the athletic department, what exactly they told all the teams you know I, I don't remember if there was ever anything like oh don't don't do like what the football team's doing or anything like that I can't speak yeah. to that but what I do remember it was it was uncomfortable it was very uncomfortable especially uh you know because it really did feel like the the campus was split in half and uh at times like it, it, I definitely remember having like a lot of uncomfortable conversations but um, ultimately, like we, we know what happened. The, the president pretty much got fired <laughs> and, it, and it was like a crazy wave and it, it was crazy. I just think, especially from like a journalistic standpoint, like that had to have been, um, like one of those things. Cause the funny thing about Missouri too, right. And Alex, you can speak to this is that 
the Mizzou journalism culture is is insane. Like the media there, uh, the media coverage that you get in a small town like Columbia, Missouri, it, it's it's almost like you're like in a major city, right? Because there's so many people yeah. that are trying to make it into journalism. Yeah, I have I have two thoughts on that. Um, going to what you said about like classes, I would say that week of school was like the most unique the unique week of education probably from like preschool to senior year of college. Cause as you said, like, I don't really, I couldn't tell you one thing I learned that week of like from what each class was and what was on the syllabus. But like, it was a lot of discussions about like, um, about, I remember talking a lot about Ferguson that week and, you know, if, if Ferguson and everything that happened there wasn't in the same state, you know, is there a domino effect? Um, you know, and the proximity, you know, a lot of students shared their own personal experiences. You know, it, it was it was the most unique week of school. And I also remember, you know, that there was a lot of people that were afraid to go to class because they didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but the people that did, it, it was mostly discussion based on what was going on. And, and you know, no, no grading or no like, uh, you know, it wasn't like those types of debates or whatnot. But it was more of just like, we're all here. Like, how does everyone feel? Uh, everyone's voice is treated equally, you know, um, I remember students were apologizing to other students. Like, I don't imagine what you're going through. Um, so yeah, that you, you saying that kind of triggered me. Like I, that, that's probably the only other thing that, that stuck with me just like how different of a school week that was, if that's even what you want to call it. For sure. For sure. And I, I really do think that, that, that the fact that there's so many media personalities, like in the Mizzou community, I think also may have contributed and you know what they call people from Mizzou journalism school. It's called the Mizzou mafia, right? Because like when you look across journalism, there's all sorts of people in high positions that went to Mizzou because it's one of the top journalism schools. And uh, I think it really, uh, a place like that, it's always got some crazy news going on. (laughs) Alex and I know like over the years, it's just a never ending cycle there and I think part of it is just because they have such like robust coverage of everything. It's definitely a weird relationship. You know, um, this is a weird anecdote, but I remember I was just going to the bar one night after a game when I was covering for the Kansas City Star and I walk in and like, as I'm walking by, someone's like, that's Alex Schiffer. And it's like, dude, we're at a college bar. The Missouri just got the crappy out of them by Georgia. And like, you know, um, you know, and I, I remember other, you know, some of the older guys that have been there a long time. They once said to me, like, you know, they were signing their kids out of school. And they're like, wait a minute, you're you're so-and-so. And they're like, yeah, I'm just trying to sign my kid out. So, like, it's definitely, you know, um, you know, the, the comment, I remember one of them early on when I was in school was like, you know, the whole town's used to getting interviewed because, like, there's so many students' projects and whatnot. So, it's it's definitely a unique place in that term of, you know, I can't think of another town that, you know, what what are the town could you say everyone's used to getting interviewed? You know what I mean? Like it's right. it's as you said, there's there's definitely different dynamics there than um than other parts of the country. Right. And like for that specific reason, I remember my first day when I was working for Mizzou basketball, they sat me down and and told me like, hey, like you, like what happens like in the team like stays in the team. If 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 there's ever news or anything that goes on, like it's not going to come from you. Right. Like that was one of the first lessons that they taught me. And sure enough, we had a a pretty big incident my freshman year 
where there was a sexual assault case, right? And I remember going back to my dorm room one day and I'm walking in my dorm and I see I see a note on the floor, right? And it says, "Hey, I would like to talk to you about the Mizzou basketball case." I'm like under under somebody slid a note under my door in my dorm. And that's like that's like the level to which the the journalism yeah. goes like that. They're that's really like this modern day smoke signal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, um, yeah. I had I had something to piggyback off. Of. I'm trying to remember what it was now. Um, oh, what was it? Oh no, one of the best lessons you've taught me, Lucas. You told me this. I forget if you were still in college or you would have been a G. But like you said, news happens slower than it breaks, and like that is like that should be like um, that like just like Notre Dame, they football they have to play like a champion. And they sign you hit like that's like um. Like I think about that every single morning, and you said like I remember you telling me how like your experience as a student manager like like um like uh taught you some of that. It's funny. Like I remember I was once texting. There was a departure on on a coaching staff I was covering, and I texted the guy. I said, "Hey, like you know, can you confirm someone's left?" And he goes, "Dude, his office has been empty for two days, but it broke that day." And I was like, "Lucas, so you've been one of my best journalism teachers for sure." <laughs> um, with some of your basketball experiences, uh, helping me there. No, I appreciate that. And and what's what's interesting about it in, in today's landscape, right? Obviously, like there's been a ton of NBA news that's broken over the last month, right? And I, particularly the one right now that's going on with Draymond Green and, and Jordan Poole alter, altercation. Like I'm thinking, like what's your thoughts on the landscape? It, it, it doesn't really – it feels like there's a, almost like a certain level of transparency – like in the league right now that is almost unprecedented, right? Like back, I, I would say like back in the day, if there was an altercation at a practice, right? Something like that wouldn't come out in the news. Like it wouldn't even be a news story. So what what is your thoughts on like the current NBA media landscape? Yeah, it's a tough question because like I don't necessarily agree of like back in the day because I, I read a book about um, the 1969 NBA finals recently between – Wilton Bill Russell, rest in peace. And, uh, you know, Bill Russell would, like, call the Boston Globe after games when he was the player coach and uh, and talk about, like, the game and recap it and say, you know, we didn't do this well enough. And, like, I'm imagining a coach – like, could you imagine Greg Popovich calling the San Antonio News Express and, like, uh, having a mini column after every game about, like, what he said to the team and everything. Like, that's just non-existent. Um, so – I, I definitely think that, you know, um, I mean, just over time in general, you know, access has, has gotten reduced and, you know, this stuff is now government secrets and, 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 you know, you, you could end somebody's career if you leak out the wrong thing about, uh, you know, or ruin the relationship. If you, uh, put out that a guy's got a broken toenail and isn't playing, um, just because of how, how sensitive that information's become. You know, also, though, kind of going back to the, the NBA 1969 NBA Finals reference, though, like, the league has, I don't even know what the exponential would be in terms of money now going into it and out than, than before. So, I don't know, you know, um, I, I think I think in general, you know, us getting into the locker rooms this year back again is a big win. And, and you know, I, I think that it's good for both the players and uh, and the coaches and, and the media and therefore the fans, you know, um. You know, it's been a different animal having to cover stuff like all remote. And like, you know, um, you know, Jeff Green was a net the year 2020 to 21. 
the year they lost to the Bucks, and uh, I, I really got along with him. I talked with him on the phone a couple times for stories. You know, I always enjoyed him on Zoom. You could crack a joke at him. He'd crack back. You know, he had personality. I, uh, you know, I met him last year in Denver for the first time. Like, yo, Jeff, you know, Alex Schiffer. And he's like, oh, shoot, you know, I know how tall you were just being behind the computer screen all those years. So, like, it's one <laughs> of, um, it's one of those, like, like that, you know, that's just been a different animal, right? You know, um, you know. You guys are the same age. Uh, I think you'd appreciate this, but do you remember Ned's the Classified School Survival Guide? Of course. You remember I teacher? She would like be the teacher that taught from home with like, um, with the computer screen. How ahead of her time was she? Like, like about a decade. Yeah. So like, like I like you know covering the NBA during the pandemic. Like I felt like we were all I teacher. You know what I mean? Like we were just like to. To a lot of these guys, we were just somebody in their mother's basement on the computer screen asking them about the game. Mm. And um, and so, you know, as we come out of that stuff now, I think it's better for everybody, too. You know, like, we had a road trip last year. I can't remember what, like, every single order of operations, but I, I the last two games were New Orleans and, uh, and Oklahoma City. And I remember Kevin Durant walks into the press conference in, in – New Orleans, this is still hybrid. So this is just podium. This isn't open locker rooms. And he's like, you know, I love the dedication, guys. Look at this. Look at my beat writers. You know, this is game five of a six-game trip. Um, stuck with us this long. I appreciate it. I love the hustle. He's like, when you all leaving town? I was like, you know, we were just talking about when to call the Uber uh, tomorrow morning because we're all on the same flight. He's like, first flight out? And I said, uh, I said, yeah. He's like, man, you all can't travel the team plane anymore? And I'm like, Kevin, you know, you're the franchise player. Why don't you make a couple calls for us and see what you could do? He's like, I could have swore when I was in Seattle for my rookie year, there were still beat writers traveling. Um, so, but like that road trip, my biggest takeaway from it was like, I think Kevin Durant kind of knows who's invested on the beat and who's not. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I think that those have been definitely with the current state of things, like, you know, some of the contrast that, you know, most guys probably, you know, the first few weeks of the season have an idea of like, Oh, the, you know, this is this is the guy who's like around all the time, you know, et cetera. You know, it probably took a while for some of those guys the past few years to figure that stuff out. Kind of a, a question off of that, Alex. So, you know, given the fact that you're a beat writer for the Nets, right? Like they have, you could argue, three of the top NBA guys as it relates to like having like tumultuous relationships with the media, right? KD, Kyrie, you know, Ben Simmons. Um so what's that been like, kind of nav- navigating a an organization where kind of your top dogs have kind of negative uh, opinions of the media and are very quick to call them out? You know, do you find that like a tough balance to be able to not? Able to re- you know, with? I'd I'd push back a bit on Ben Simmons. I wasn't obviously with him in Philly. He's been fine mm-hmm. with us the whole time, but um, you know, I feel like his name has been out in the public in not so great ways in recent years. But I don't necessarily think the media's gone after him or uh or he's like had it like you know like Kyrie had the comment of calling us pawns or whatever you know I I can't remember Ben Simmons ever having like a situation like that um all all things considered I mean I honestly you know haven't had a a problem with any of those guys so far I mean again Ben I don't really count because we're just getting to know him really but um you know you know Kevin Durant last night. I asked him a question post game. Well, to rewind a bit, you know, I've asked Kevin before about you know we we've swapped TV shows and all that. He got me in a winning time, and uh, when he requested the trade in June, you know, I'm not going to name the reporter because I saw him last night and he's a nice guy. But he tweeted, um, he tweeted, I want the record to show the last question that Kevin Durant was asked as a net. This is assuming he gets traded. Uh, was if he liked the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson, 
and everyone figured out it was me and you talk about my mentions and everything and um and it's like yo i asked that as we were all walking out the door toward the medium i didn't ask him that when he was on the podium he liked it and he saw it five times in case you were wondering but like um you know uh you know i haven't had really a bad uh a bad interaction with him you know even last night you could tell he wasn't happy about the game you know him and Ben Simmons. You could kind of see the the media view at Barclays is is a opposite from the Nets bench, uh, which I'm sure is coincidence. So you can't really see what's going on down there. But you know you could see that they were like walking through actions and and talking about something. And I asked Kevin. Uh, I said I was like, you know, you mind go? He's like, you really think I'm gonna tell you what we were going through? I was like, well, I'm not expecting you to get the whiteboard out and uh, and walk me through everything. But you know, generally speaking, and you know that got him laughing. So and, and even Kyrie, you know, um, again it. it He's gotten into it with some people, especially over the vaccine stuff last year. But, you know, um, uh, mainly Nick Friedel of ESPN, who he uh, he claims is going to be best friends with by the end of the year. It's a, what to watch for. Um, but, uh, you know, being from Jersey and being in high school when Kyrie was, you know, again, a lot of these names are familiar to Lucas probably. But, like, you know, being able to talk St. Pat's, St. Anthony's with him. You know, uh, he's cool with Sterling Gibbs, whose family, you know, was all D1 guys that were like, you know, from the town over from me. So, you know, um, you know, we've kind of had we've kind of found common ground on like the Jersey basketball stuff. And and that is kind of a fallback to talk about. So um, so I I don't uh, you know, as you said, Colin, like they've definitely had their their uh, their bouts with with the press at times. But like I and again, maybe I've just done things right, maybe my day's coming and we're going to have a much different conversation next time around. But, uh, like uh, so far I've, I've had nothing but, you know, good, re- good interactions, you know, healthy interactions with those guys working wise. Yeah. I've been, I've been waiting to see if that day is going to come. Like, I'm not, I'm not wishing that upon you. I'm just, I mean, it happens sometimes. I, 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 it's kind of I've been watching for, closely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like media day this year, I, you know, I, I forget where I am in the pecking order in terms of like tenure on the beat, but like, I'm not number one. And, um, you know, media day comes around and uh, Kevin Durant bats lead off. He's the first one. And, you know, they're like, all right, Alex, you're leading us off. And I'm like, I got to ask him about the trade. Like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so, you know, I, again, like, you know, this is all public information. There's nothing that I'm like, you know, uh, pulling from, from out of nowhere. And I, you know, I just I was like, Kevin, can you just kind of walk us through your mindset that led you to request the trade since we last saw you, the ultimatum, what made you rescind it? You know, and I, I thought he gave, you know, a very good answer. And again, like, you know, all those guys had plenty of months to think about what they were going to say in response to all this. But, um, but like, again, that's something where maybe, um, you know, maybe he says something else and it's a more difficult interaction, but he's like, nah, here we go. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, man. I'm not, I'm not trying to jinx you. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to see you getting, nah, just, uh, you know, blown up on To me, Twitter. it's just part of the job. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it, it, sometimes it just happens. If you were, you know, when you were at the poll, Lucas, obviously, uh, you guys had some tough losses. I mean, it, it, it you know, I, I get in some ways too with these guys with, um, you know, a lot of them won big in high school and in college, you know, most of the questions they got were positive, you know, coming up to the NBA. And then, you know, you have a bunch of mics in your face getting asked about missing the game winning shot. You know, uh, it, it definitely it, it definitely has to be a bit of a difference. So I, uh, I I'm kind of conscious of all angles of that. And again, like sometimes a guy's just in a bad mood. Right. You know, uh, it, it, they're human beings, too. So right. I uh, whenever people say like, you know, uh, and I'm not going after you, obviously, but when they're like, oh, you know, you've lucked out so far. It's like I don't really look at it that way. It's just like stuff happens, you know. 
Yeah, and 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 I will say this: like I, I'm also not surprised that you haven't like that hasn't happened to you, just because I know you and I, I know how you navigate uh, the, these areas in in terms of networking and relationship building. But that's something I wanted to talk to you about. For you coming from the perspective of somebody that is a journalist, like how are you? you've done a really good job of building a network and building relationships of people that trust you. How have you been able to do that um, so effectively? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I think first and foremost, just kind of, you know, be yourself. Um, like, as you guys talk about Lucas, like some knowing me, like with some of the stuff with KD last night and everything, like, I don't know, like, I just, I, I'm not afraid to kind of throw my sense of humor and personality out there if it backfires. I mean, you guys have heard some of my best stories. You, I've missed some too, though. So, um, so I don't know, you know, um, I, I've never really got it. You know, I, I get pissed when people say, like, you know, oh, this reporter has an agenda or whatever. Like, there's some do. There, there's definitely some, you know, some some bad examples of, of reporters in our industry without question. Again, we're not perfect. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I just kind of be myself. You know, I always look at it as a marathon, not a sprint. You know, um. The first time we met Lucas, you know, I was writing recruiting stories about uh, about uh, Mizzou's targets. The, our first few interactions, not like I ever said to you, you know, uh, trying to think of who a guy Mizzou would have been recruiting around the time we just met. But um, I'm upset now. I feel like I should have a good example of this. But Devin Booker, right? Like Devin Booker would have been a huge Mizzou target around the time we met. Like I didn't say, you know, where do they stand on him or whatever, as if you're in the, all the recruiting meetings or whatnot, you know, so like. I, I, I tell people all the time, you know, in, in some ways it's a lot like dating where, you know, you don't pick the wedding cake out on the first shot. But like at some point, too, I feel like you have to kind of get a feel for like, can I count on this person to, to give me something in the moment or um or come back to me? And so, you know, sometimes as simple as just showing your face and saying hi to some people, you know, I've gotten texts from scouts and agents where they were crazy busy. But, you know, um just a quick, hey, what's going on? And you'll get a text out of the case. Always busy night. Just thanks for saying hi. Um, so I don't know. I, I always try to check in with people. You know, I'm, I'm good at that. I feel like where, um, where, you know, if I haven't heard from them in a while or even just, you know, if I'm passing through a city, you know, you'll, you'll kind of learn traveling around the country for the NBA. You know, there's, there's only so many people, you know, in certain pockets and, and, you know, I've, I've made friends from just and connections from just DMing and saying like, Hey, I'm in town. I know you are too. You know, you want to figure something out. So I don't really have like a great answer. It's how to, you know, being myself and kind of knowing like, you know, it's, it's, it's about the long game, not the short game. And, and I'd rather have a relationship with a guy for five years where he maybe, you know, helps me out in a lot of little different ways than, you know, going all in early on of like, Hey, I need this right now and ruining it. So that that's kind of the short answer on it, honestly, but, but there's no book for this stuff. Right. And that's kind of the other problem is that it's, it's my, one of my biggest adult epiphanies lately is a lot of life is about feel. That's like been my big, like uh, aha moment. And to me, that's a lot of the job too, is just when to ask for a favor, when not to, when to push, when not to, um, and, and, you know, failure is the best teacher. And, and sometimes it's a lot of your experiences that just kind of shape the next ones. You know, I didn't mean to sound that prophetic. <laughs> no, was, but you're right. On point answer, on point answer. No, you're right. And it's no, it's funny. Cause like I was telling Colin before we were going to talk to you, I'm like, yo, this dude, Alex, like he knows like, uh, you know, this guy's uncle, right over here and he knows this guy's trainer and I'm always just like how do you like how do you meet these people <laughs> and like I you know I think it just comes from uh, you're you're like a very proactive about going about your relationships and, and and but you also do a good job of like knowing when to push and like knowing when to pull and 
Well, yeah, I I've, I've never had it. No, this is now five years out of college. I'm doing this. I've never had a day, no matter how good of a story I've written or however, whatever happened, like where I've arrived. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and you know, from coaching, Luke, it's like, there's just so much attrition. Like, you know, when I was at Mizzou or when we were at Mizzou, like, it doesn't matter if like I had a good relationship with every single member of the coaching staff. Like most guys are gone one or in one or two years to another gig. Um, you know, the average coach's tenure isn't that long. So like, there's always someone else to be talking to or like, you know, someone else to, um, someone else to be trying to meet with. So I've never like looked at it as like, uh, I'm in a groove now or whatever. Like I've always kind of looked at it as like on to the next one, you know? For sure. Has, uh, has there been anyone, you know, kind of throughout your journey that's been really impactful for you from a kind of like a mentor perspective or just anyone that even from like afar that, that you've kind of uh, uh, aspired to, to be or, or looked up to anything to that effect? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I, I've taken a lot of different things from a lot of people in different ways. You know, I, I was in Kansas City real quick this earlier this week and I saw like Blair Kirkhoff and Vahe Gregorian for the Kansas City Star. And, you know, you talk about like the longevity of relationships and not uh, not burning a bridge early on or whatever, you know, Vahe met Andy Reid when Andy Reid was the Mizzou offensive line coach in the late 80s. And now he uh and now he um now he is the head coach of the Chiefs and Vahe is the columnist there, right? So like, you know, you talk about like the longevity of that and and how that's uh that's that's lasted all those years. I mean, that that kind of shows, you know, as you said, you know, what what happens when you can kind of really be in this business long and you see people kind of develop and the, the people you met when they were interns then grow into it. And like another great example that, that he has is when he was, you know, Vahe played football at UPenn when he was, um, when he was injured one time, his rehab partner, you know, he, he introduced himself to the guys like, hi, I'm, I'm Vahe. And uh, the other guy goes, hi, I'm Fran. That became Fran McCaffrey, the Iowa basketball coach, you know, at the combine one year, it was when Tyler Cook, so obviously a Missouri native was, was in the combine, you know, Fran McCaffrey, if you watch him on TV, he is not the, uh, the, uh, he can be pretty heat in the moment. It looks like, you know, I walk up to Fran. I was like, Hey Fran, I worked for the Kansas City store. You know, Vahe is one of my mentors. And he goes, you tell Vahe, I bleep and love him. So I take out my phone and I start, and he's like, you really sending us like that. Tell Vahe, I love him all the time. And he's, and then he proceeds to, you know, take me, and introduced me to, you know, Tom Crean, who came in, you know, huge for me. Now that Nick Claxton's on the Nets, he coached him at Georgia. John Beeline, who's now, you know, obviously in the NBA with the Pistons, you know, had that stint with the Cavs as the Cavs coach. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, I think it's really cool. Like, I've never, like, envisioned myself with that. But, like, like you talk about the swag of, like, um, like, and Lucas has done this before, too, with people. Of, like, yo, tell them you know me. And, um and then, like, you know, it pays off. And so I remember, like, uh, remember when I was out with Lawrence Bowers once, Lucas was like, tell Elbow, you know me right now. And I was like, yo, like, this is my guy. And there, and he's like, yo, like, Lucas is my dog. Um, and we had an awesome night out. So, um, like, I was, like, I've always admired Vahe because he's had these long relationships. He's got such a good reputation. He's such a good guy. And, uh, like, you tell someone that you're, like, you're cool with him. And, like, all of a sudden they're cool with you. You know what I mean? Like, that, like again, like, I feel like that goes beyond journalism of just, like, you know, you'd want people to think that if you write and just in life in general, like, oh, shoot, you know, Luke Shapiro, like that dude doesn't hang out with, you know, a bunch of jerks. Like he's got to be a cool guy, too. So, um, you know, I've always respected Vahe for that. You know, um, a lot of the people, the athletic, I mean, that, you know, I, I love like the the niche feature type stuff, you know, um, 
Mike Vorkanoff, who I, I was his intern at one point, Ben Cohen, the former basketball writer for the WSJ. I have a ton of his stories uh, in stacks right here on my desk. Um, that I'm, you know, he did a story on like players that took a charge from Zion at Duke and how much force he generates. Like <laughs> weird, interesting stuff like that. I've always really gotten up for. Wow, that's awesome. No, that is. In, in terms of like working at the athletic and, and covering the Nets, Colin and, I, Colin and I were wondering, like, in the time that you've covered them, there's been just so much news, right? Would you say that you, in terms of the beat writers that work for the athletic, are, are just pumping out like e- even more content just because of the nature of the team that you cover? Or how has that kind of like worked? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I always think the beat determines how much you write and how much you don't. You know, like like I never, I never thought there was a set number. And like, you know, especially so we're required to do about like 10 stories a month at minimum. But like, again, like that's more of like, I don't even want to say it's a mandate. It's more of like a guide. But, you know, really from I'm trying to remember the I just had my dashboard up too, but like, you know, from um from December 2021, when Kyrie came back as a part-time player, the Nets had that COVID outbreak. This is when they were in first place in the East, but were starting to slip. Um, you know, from that time period till the end of the season, I averaged like over 20 stories a month. And again, that's not like, like I'd like to think I hustled as much as the next guy, but again, it's just like, you know, there was just so much stuff to, to, to write about. So, um so, you know, meanwhile, like, you know, covering Mizzou basketball, you know, some of those lean years of cons over there, like around 500, um, you know, there's only so much to write. You know, there's only so many guys playing well. There's only so much to look for, to look toward the future with. So, like, um, so, yeah, and like, again, we'll see what happens this year, right? Like, you know, we'll see how they start the season. They have a really tough schedule to start. You know, you have TJ Warren, you know, kind of waiting in the wings as a guy that can help them immediately. You know, they've had so much attrition. I haven't been able to write a ton about the actual basketball, I feel like, over the years because... I was talking to Steve Nash about this the other day, and he said, he's like, look, like, we started last year with James Harden, who plays a certain style, and then um, then we trade for Ben Simmons, who doesn't play, and we're without him, Kyrie, Joe, for long stretches. Like, it was just two different styles. So, like, um, I hope this year I actually get to write about the actual basketball more than I've been able to at times. No, that would be great. That would be great. Uh, you know, speaking of the actual basketball – Great transition. I mean, what, man. What, 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 what are your thoughts on this team? I mean, it, it's it's Colin and I are have our differences about them this year. Colin's got them finishing third in the East. I've got them finishing sixth. I think they're just one of those teams that nobody really knows. So, as somebody who's around them every day, what 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 are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because. Some people are are predicting, you know, the whole thing blows up at some point. Other people say, you know, that they have the best roster on paper in the East. Um, I have very much reserved judgment for when they actually take the court and see what they look like. But, you know, I, I think a couple big thoughts. The East is just better, right? I mean, you have the Hawks getting Deontay Murray, Donovan Mitchell with the Cavs. I, I think the Cavs have maybe the best young core in the NBA right now. All those guys, you know, around 25, they have a long runway. Um, the Bucks are back, obviously. The Celtics are back, despite the Ime Odoka drama. Um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon could also be a really good sneaky uh, uh, acquisition. And then, I mean, I'm trying to think who I'm missing. The Sixers are, are much improved, right? It's like the Houston reunion they got going on there. We'll see if James Harden can turn back the clock a bit. So I, I just think, in general, 
it's a tougher conference than it was when they started with this super team. Um, ben Simmons, you know, I the the parallels between Ben Simmons and Michael Porter Jr. back issue wise are kind of like crazy startling to me. But again, like everybody's body's different. I'm not trying to lean too much into that, but just you know, in general, you have what guys that get back surgery in basketball tend to get multiple, right? So, um, you know, him holding up for a whole year, and then you know, to, to me. They have a ton of shooting. Um, Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Seth Curry. You know, I asked Eric Spolstra last night. You know, I said you had a similar thing in Miami with LeBron Wade and Bosch because you had Mike Miller, Shane Battier, and um, oh Ray Allen. As you know, and he said he's like you know look like you know yeah it gives you a lot of options. They've had great role role players and those guys are more than just shoot threes. Uh, defensively, I kind of wonder about them. You know, they they I thought the biggest takeaway from the Nets Celtics sweep was. Um, the Celtics two-way players and defensive-oriented guys can also get you shots. And I felt the same way about Phoenix last year. Like, I'm, I'm a huge, huge Mikael Bridges fan. Like, I, I would love to have – he wouldn't be the first guy you obviously start a team with now, but, like, he'd be one of my first selections. And, like, when the Nets played the Suns in, like, January, February, you know, like, one of the biggest takeaways from that game, you look at th- – this is when they had Jay Crowder. Um, I mentioned Mikael. Like, their defensive guys can also make plays on the offensive end for them. And uh, the Nets kind of have the opposite where, you know, they have a lot of offensive oriented guys, but have their limitations defensively, right? You know, Ben Simmons is a good defender. Kevin Durant's a good defender. You know, Nick Claxton's very switchable. I, I think, uh, I think losing Bruce Brown, Boston zone. So I, uh, I don't get hurt on the podcast, um, <laughs> you know, to, to Denver, which I think is a really interesting offensive uh, team that that's where it could be in for another show. But, you know, he was a great on-ball defender. You know, he was only 6'4", but, like, again, you're probably only having him guard maybe one one to two, maybe the, depending upon the three. Um, but he gave them a lot there. So, you know, defensively, I wonder about them, and will they be able to make stops and adjust to, to win games? Uh, the center position to me is very interesting because you have Nick Claxton, who – I, I'm very curious to see how his career just, you know, goes long-term because you watch, and I, I think you would have been at DePaul at this point, Lucas, but you watch what Tom Crean did with him at Georgia. He was like a 6'11 point guard that got downhill and playmaked and, you know, could also play down low, you know, um, you know, kind of going off the, the LeBron comment of like, you know, we've had, we've seen a lot of unicorns lately. Wayman Yana is a, uh, is a, alien like Nick Claxton has some of that unicorn potential to me, but that hasn't really fit his profile yet. Um, but he's been hurt a lot and, you know, he's had conditioning issues. And then Dayron Sharp, the other center, you know, averaged about 10, 12 minutes a game last year. He had fouling issues. You know, he, I remember him talking about after they played in new Orleans that same night with the, with the Kevin uh, beat writer talk, you know, Dayron Sharp was like in awe that Jonas Valanciunas like literally took his hand and like physically moved him um down low in the paint so you know you're, you're relying on two guys um that have are inexperienced big picture but also just have question marks to, to carry you there i mean who guards Embiid? who guards Jokic? um and you know i don't know like if those two don't work like where you go for other options you know hassan whiteside and dwight howard are out there um mm-hmm. I am not a huge fan of Hassan Whiteside's game. You know, I've heard personality-wise, you know, they, they already have enough personalities in the locker room. I don't know if Hassan or Dwight would make sense there. Um, but, you know, and, and more on the Dwight front, you know, 
the to me one of the Nets' bigger problems in recent years is they've chased guys who are over the hill like Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap, those types. Um, and you know maybe instead of getting like a, a like an Isaiah Hardenstein or uh, or like some kind of project of sorts that maybe could help them more long term there. Um, you know, so that if it doesn't work at center, that's where I'm going to be curious just because, um, where are you going to get other options from that, that can help you immediately? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I think my theory about them this year is that the team, as we see it now is not what it's going to look like at the end of year. I think I could see them. They've got the pieces to make another trade or something. Um, you know, Alex, I know, I know you're coming up. We're coming up on your time here. Uh, I think we're – I don't know what happened, but I think we may have lost Colin. Yeah, yeah we could talk uh, another five yeah, – he's coming back. We could, I got another okay. five minutes or so if you want. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, so I, I agree. I think, like, defensively they definitely have some question marks, and it's going to really take like a, a – if, if they are truly going to stick with the team that they've got now, it's going to take a lot of creativity. Uh, is something that I'm going to be interested to watch out for. Are they going to mess with some zones? Are, what are they going to do to cover up for some of their shooters that may, may be more of a defensive liability? Um, what What is your kind of feel for – I mean, do you think, like, truly everything's good after – you know, it's hard to t- say from being in the media – But it seemed like everything from, you know, obviously the goal of NBA Media Day is to put on your best smile and and whatnot. Uh, What's kind of your vibe of the team right now in its current form? Yeah, you know, I mean, they're not fully healthy right now. You know, we talked about T.J. Warren waiting in the wing. Seth Curry's coming back from an ankle. So, like, I I think they're they're not taking the the results of the past two preseason games, you know, like the end of the world. Um, But, you know... You look at Kevin Durant and Steve Nash's comments. Well, first off, like their schedule is so playoff heavy to start the season. I'm, I have the schedule right in front of me. Just um, this is pure coincidence. I didn't plan this, but you know, New Orleans, Toronto, at Memphis, Milwaukee, back to back with Dallas. They've Indiana a couple times, and then Dallas again in early November. They have a trip where they go to uh, Clippers and Lakers back to back. You know, Portland's an interesting team with Jeremy Grant now. You know, they have Memphis, Philly, Toronto all in one week um, in a three and four. Um, you know, they they very well could be, you know, 12 and 12, 13, 13, you know, whatever around there. And to me, you know, what happens then? I mean, what happens with Steve Nash? You know, I, I like Steve Nash. I, I understand why he's not necessarily a fan favorite, but he's also been dealt maybe the craziest two-year hand in NBA history for a first-time coach. And, you know, I'm curious with him, you know, how much does he kind of factor into winning where he just completely outcoaches a guy down the stretch and out schemes and, you know, plays a huge role in that win. And, uh, and you know, it's been interesting listening to him and Kevin Durant talk about the vibe. You know, Kevin Durant's thesis statement for wanting a trade was how, you know, during that 10-game losing streak they had last year, he thought they should have been more competitive and, um, you know, he thought that they didn't have good championship habits and that there was a lot of he he, he thought they should that that shouldn't have happened. And they had the talent to, to maybe sustain that and, and handle that better than they did. Steve Nash's comments have been, you know, I was without my top four or five players 
um, what do you want me to do? And, you know, talking to the, the coaching side of you, Lucas, you know, I, I tend to lean a bit towards Steve Nash in that direction just because, you know, I remember talking to um, an assistant coach last year. The, the Nets, at one point, their second unit was, you know, either Katie or Harden out there alongside Nick Claxton, Bruce Brown, uh, DeAndre Bembry, and Javon Carter, usually those four. That's a really non-shooting heavy lineup, right? And, you know, um, an assistant coach was saying to me, you know, how do you space the floor like that? How, how can you really get good looks like that in, in the modern NBA when we're, we're kind of, you know, some of the best stuff we can draw up is, is going to wind up with us having, you know, a 30% three-point shooter kind of get dared to, to shoot, and we have to hope he makes it. And, and you're kind of going against the math, some common sense, et cetera. So they're, they're built obviously with all the shooting we talked about to, to really space the floor well and all that. But, you know, I, I lean a bit toward Nash just that it's been this crazy hand and, you know, they need some continuity. They need some time to develop. And, you know, you can see during the preseason game last night that they're still learning each other, especially Ben given his layoff. But I, I just think that, um, you know, I don't think they're going to run away with the East. I also don't think they're going to be destined for the plane again. If everyone's healthy, I feel like, you know, fourth in the east is is a reasonable pick um but um you know i it it's going to be interesting to kind of see how those two two comments hold up between what nash said and durant said because you know i i do think a to now play to kevin's side you know we talked about camp thomas and nauseam before over text right like you know, we talk about these non-shooter heavy lineups and some of the stuff they were forced to do but you know they weren't playing some of these other guys to kind of see you know, Cam gets hot real quick. What if that changes the way the defense guards you? And maybe that can open some other stuff up, right? You know, th there was definitely times where I, I, I kind of wondered, you know, what's the harm in throwing him out there, seeing if he can get going a little bit, you know, um, and and does anything come from that? I don't know. So, you know, I, I think there's I think there's arguments to both uh, both points of view and, and how that changes or how that evolves or, or you know, what we see based on those will be will be interesting and say a lot yeah no I mean there's a lot of different directions that this team can go and I, I will say this like after hearing what their schedule is I it's I think it's going to get interesting really quick I'll, I'll just say that <laughs> I think it's going to get interesting really quick well hey my man I, I don't want to hold you I uh, just wanted to say thank you for coming on, being our first guest. You know, as we're we're building this thing up, uh, I think it, it means a lot to me. And uh, I just want to say, uh, great great job, and keep up the good work. Appreciate you having me, man. You know you're my guy, Colin too. Even though I think he's kicked himself <laughs> off the show or something happened. 